All right, guys. Well, obviously, obviously, y'all are noticing that Jason's not here because there would be some kind of video introduction, and uh, I'm not that guy. I, I don't know how to do all those cool things, so I just brought text on a screen, and I'll tell stories about that. So that's all I got. <coughs> I don't have the cool transitions that he has, but um, <coughs> so. Last week we had uh, my friend Derek here, for those of you who were not here, and he uh, filled in and preached and talked about the, uh, the cost of worship in our lives. <clears throat> and I was, uh, I was thinking about the, uh, the sermon, and I had originally some, uh, uh, another idea that I was, was going to preach on, but I, I had done a devotional a while back based on uh, Psalm, 30, or Psalm 130, and for some reason I couldn't, couldn't get that out of my mind. Um, this week, so we're actually going to be talking about Psalm 130, and uh, you know how that affects that, our uh, Christian walk, what it can, how it can inform our Christian walk. And um, <clears throat> one thing, one thing about the Psalms that I've always noticed is, come on in, come sit down. That's okay. That's okay. Come on in. We are very informal. Just walk in. We just we we didn't start on time anyway. We, we haven't in the last three weeks. <laughs> um, so, uh, anyway, when uh, a lot of times I recommend the Psalms to people uh, who are going through you know, challenging times in their lives, uh, you know, there's a lot of things in the New Testament that teach us what we know about God and what we can know about God and the gospel. Um, but I've always noticed that the Psalms have a big variety in them. And they reflect, and I think in God's providence, they reflect human life, the things that we go through. Um, and they're in there for that, so that we know that, you know, we can, you know, we can expect suffering, we can expect joy, we can expect at times to cry out to God in need. We can, we can expect to cry out in triumph to God. Um, and, and that's all in the Psalms. There's various, uh, a lot of variation in there. And so when I, when I have friends who, you know, I've recommended this multiple times and done this in my own life, when I've been going through tough times in my life, that's usually where I go in my, my quiet time, and I spend a lot of time there. And that's what this, uh, this reading came out of. <clears throat> so we're going to be reading in Psalm 130 this morning. It's a very short psalm. It's eight verses. Um, it's not 119 or anything crazy like that. And, uh, and we're going to kind of see what the psalmist says about uh, life and uh, relationship with God and um, things that are involved there. But before we get into that, <clears throat> let, me ask a story, let me ask a question. Have any of you guys ever, as a child, gotten lost? Like separated from your parents? Like to the point of kind of freaking out? Anybody? Raise your hand. Nobody. Okay. I'm the only one that got lost. I used to get lost all the time. <laughs> so I remember like being like four or five and going to uh, J.C. Penney's. And y'all know, you know the circular like uh, racks? Well, there's like a little stand in the middle, and a five-year-old fits in there perfectly. So me and my sister, we would be playing in there at Walmart, J.C. Penney's, one of those places, and we were playing hide-and-go-seek. And I hid in there, and I was like, I was the champ at hiding. And I was in there hiding, I was laughing to myself, and, you know, and she never found me. And I started peeking out, and I realized my sister was gone, and my parents were gone. And I was like, you know, totally freaking out, 
like, you know, running down the aisles of JCPenney's or Walmart, I can't remember what it was, kind of starting to cry and get really upset. <coughs> so I guess that's just me. But anyway, that type of thing happens to people, you know, some more than others. Um, and and in, in, our, uh, in our walk with God, especially prior to, prior to becoming Christians, we don't have that closeness. But even after becoming Christians, we can, you know, um, become separated and, and there, a distance can come up in our, in our relationship with God. I was talking with some friends of my cousin once upon a time. We were hanging out, and my cousin is this, uh, he's an army ranger, or used to be an army ranger. Now he's like some type of special forces that nobody's supposed to know about. So he, <coughs> he goes in and does serious things. The, the video that Jason showed a, a few weeks back about the guys doing the halo jump and getting behind em, enemy lines, that's the type of stuff that he does. And um, we were sitting around, and, uh, and two of his buddies who were in his group were telling a story, and they were in Baghdad, or not Baghdad, in Iraq. And this is when, before the Iraqi war actually started, these guys were on the ground before anybody was there, and they were behind enemy lines, and I don't know if they were scouting or what they were doing, <clears throat> but they were behind enemy lines. And the two guys that I, were, I was talking to um, they somehow got separated from the rest of the group, right? And being separated, they got separated, they were trying to catch up, and something happened that came upon some, uh, some of the, uh, the uh, guys on the other side, the bad guys, whoever they were. I'm not exactly sure, but they got pinned down, and they could not get out. <clears throat> and they were outnumbered, and it was going to be one of those type of situations where eventually you know, more guys would show up, and they'd surround them, and that would be it, you know, um, and they didn't know what to do. They were just kind of trying to survive and figure out a way out of it. <clears throat> uh, fortunately, my cousin had turned around and come back, and uh, he's one of the guys that carries a really big gun, <clears throat> and all of a sudden, they hear this gun going off, you know, and they're like, wait, that's one of our guns, and they realized that my cousin somehow had come back and found them and was laying, you know, suppressing fire so they could get out, and, you know, they managed to get out and get away, and they joined up with the rest of the group. And I can imagine that at that point when they heard that gun just going off, and they realized that it was my cousin, one of the guys on their side, who was, you know, helping them get out, that had come back for them, that there was just, like, you know, a sense of relief and elation and, you know, hey, we're going to make it out of this, you know, a, a desperation that's going away. And I think sometimes that's how our relationship with God can be. We, we feel we've gotten away from him. And, um, and we feel separated and cut off and desperate and don't know what to do. Um, and that's kind of what we're going to talk about with Psalm uh, 130 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, join with me, Psalm 130, start in verse 1. And <clears throat> I'm going to do, I'm reading uh, the ESV, but if NIV Bibles here should be very similar, and it'll be on the screen. So let's, uh, let's read together. <clears throat> Uh, a song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. 
O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So, the psalmist has three three main things that I want to point out that he's saying in this uh, in this chapter uh, about our lives and relationship and and sin and things like that. Um, well, let's talk about where we start. He starts out, and this is implicit in what he's saying. He doesn't actually come out and say this, but it's implicit. He recognizes his sin. That's the very first thing. Um, he basically says uh, in, in, verse, uh, in verses 1, uh, he says, out of the depths, um, and then he pleads for mercy in verse 2. The, the, uh, Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. And he says, who should mark iniquities? And, but there is forgiveness. So in those things, he's saying that, you know, I have iniquities. If, if he wasn't saying those things, there would be no need for the, him to uh, say them. If there was no sin, there would be no need for him to say them. And if there was no sin, he would need no forgiveness. Um, and we see this later on in the New Testament. Uh, we, we see this in, in Romans 3.9. Uh, I don't think I have the whole thing up there, but I'll read it to you. Uh, Romans 3.9 says, What then? Are we, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As, as it is written, no, no one, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together and become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And later on, Paul continues in uh, 3.23, he says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So I think the psalmist recognizes this. Granted, this is way before Paul's time, but I think the psalmist understands this concept. You know, it's not just the psalmist who has sinned, it's all of us. And the difficulty um, that sometimes we have is, uh, and this has happened to me, I think it happens to all of us, is that Sometimes we have these, you know, one or two big sins that we struggle with. You know, say I'm an angry dude, and I just deal with that all the time. And that's my thing that I know that I, I struggle with. Um, out, you know, just uh, outrage and just, you know, losing my temper and stuff like that. And say that I've got that under control. Does that mean that I have no other sin in my life that I don't even recognize? And a lot of times I think we do. So there's not only just the recognizing of our own sin that we're you know, well aware of, but at times we have to you know, pray to God and say, God, show me what sin may be in my life. Because I, be re- I may not realize it, but I, ha- I may um, you know, say I have, uh, I'm dealing with you know, some type of addiction. I may not realize it, but I may also have anger in my heart towards my brother in Christ for some strange reason, and that anger has turned to hate. And that's just boiling up in me, but I don't even realize it. And sometimes it takes the Spirit of God to show us that we have these things in our lives. So the first thing that he does is he actually recognizes, hey, I'm a sinful guy. And this sin has separated me from God. So after he recognizes, he, he responds. And how, do, how does he respond? Well, like I said just a second ago, he, he realized that um, sin separated uh, him from God. Uh, it causes a rift in relationship. The very first thing that he says is, out of the depths I cry to you. 
Now, this doesn't mean the dude was like, you know, swimming or something like that when he was saying this prayer. This means he's trying to paint a picture of being very far away from God. And in those times, you know, the, the, the ocean was the deepest and farthest you could get away from God. So he's saying the depths. He's kind of using that, that, um, that terminology, that, that picture. Um, and he's trying to say that, hey, I'm as far away from God as I can be. That's how I feel right now. And in other parts of Scripture, uh, Isaiah 59.2, I think we have that on the screen. Um, it says, but your iniquities have separated from you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And later in Ephesians, um, Paul uses words of alienation, and um, and some parts he uses actually words of you know that were enemies of God. And Ephesians two twelve he says, "Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world." And in four eighteen after that, he's talking about the. Uh, the, the Greeks and the Gentiles and saying that they were darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. So sin you know, puts up a divide between us and God. Even if we're Christians, that happens. So you know, despite the fact that we have been pardoned and forgiven for our sins when we, we come to Christ and trust Him as Lord, if we keep sinning, if we keep letting sin, you know, run rampant in our lives, it's not. It's it's going to do. It's uh, it's going to break the relationship. It's going to cause that distance. Um, now the. When I think about this, when I was thinking, when I was reading this uh, in my quiet time and thinking about the, uh, the out of the depths I cry to you, my thought went to, it went to a movie. Okay, so that's that's what my mind does. So, and I can't remember what movie it was, but I remember, like, you know, the old-timey wells, and not the kind with the pump, but the big round ones, and, you know, you put in a bucket, and it's really, really deep. And in this movie, somebody fell in the well, and there's, you know, there's no rope. Maybe Batman begins, or I don't remember. So, you know, this happened in a lot of movies. Okay, so anyway, this person falls into the, uh, to the well, and uh, they're trying to climb out, right? And they get a little ways up, and the hand slips, they pull on a root or something, and they just fall back down. And they try it over and over again, and they can't get out. And they're yelling at the top of the voice, and nobody's hearing them. You know, and that's the picture that, that popped into my mind when I was reading this. And I think that's appropriate of what the psalmist was trying to say. You know, we're in the depths when we have sin in our life, and we can't get out on our own. Um, there, there's nothing that we can do to climb out of this, the well. There's nothing that, there's no rope, there's no handholds, it's slippery, it's muddy, there's just nothing that we can do other than call out and hope that somebody hears us. So in verse 2 he says, he cries out for God. And in 3 and 4, because he is merciful and will hear us. So despite the fact that you know, we've somehow gotten ourselves into this well. You know, the psalmist says, I understand, you know, I'm in this hole because of my iniquities. Not anybody else's iniquities, but my own. Um, but still, God will hear and be merciful. So, what's the next step? Well, you have to cry out. And then he uses two words. 
um, back to back in here. In verse 5, it says, my soul waits, and in his word, I hope. And then again, my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. And the, the waiting and hoping are kind of hand in hand. It's, a, uh, it's not a sitting around twiddling my thumbs type thing. It's not, you know, like playing tic-tac-toe or, or uh, yeah, tic-tac-toe. I don't know what I was saying. It's not like playing a board game or just sitting there, you know, passing the time. It's, uh, it's looking forward with confidence and focus. So, and he, and he uses this thing more than the watchman for the morning. He says it twice. And usually when they repeat something in the Bible like that back to back, that's important. Focus on that. Hold on to that and try to figure out what's going on there. And so the first thought that I had, you know, when I was thinking the watchman in the morning, you know, I'm a Tolkien nerd. So I read Lord of the Rings. I've, I've read the book 24 times, the whole series. I'm a nerd, okay? Yes, I'm very serious about it. Um, <clears throat> the first thing that I thought of was this image of the guys on the big towers, and the tower is called Minas Tirith, for any of you who are Tolkien nerds. And that's what I thought of. And so there's an image, I, I got a little image in there, uh, Matt. And I was like, this is it. This is the watchmen, you know, kind of, they're looking down on the orcs, and they're getting ready for battle, and, you know, they're kind of getting, you know, just gearing up, ready for the attack. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, wait, that's not right at all. That's, that's not the image the psalmist would have been familiar with. Um, if, we're, if we think this, the psalm is around the time of David, he would have been familiar with warfare at that time. And so think, don't think about this. Think more about the guys who are out around watch fires. There's no protective walls. There's a camp. Enemy, you know, the, Israel, the, the camp of Israel and then the, whoever they're fighting is a ways away. And there's watchfires with, you know, the watchmen standing around them. Or there's no fires at all. They're just looking out, listening for the enemy to come in the night and attack. And they're by themselves. And their lives and the lives of their fellow soldiers are at stake. There's no walls to protect them. Just whatever weapons they have and the God that they depend on. And that's the image that he's saying. And they're waiting for the morning, because it, it, when morning comes, safety arrives. You can see ahead of you. You can see somebody coming at you. And, in the dark, there's danger. In the dark, there's you know, treachery. There's guys sneaking up with knives to kill you. Anything of those things can happen. But they're looking forward to the morning, to the light, um, when they can actually see and know that they're safe, know that they're okay, they made it through another night, and then the armies will form up and do what they do. And that's the picture that he's painting right here. He's saying, wait for God like you're waiting for the morning, like you're waiting for that morning sun, the dawn that's coming, like you're anticipating that. That's how you wait for God. You look forward with anticipation because you know that he will answer. So what are the reasons that he says we, we know that... Um, that we can wait for God. Well, it tells us some stuff about God. In verse 4, he says, But with you there is forgiveness. With God there, there is forgiveness. So despite there, that we've sinned, despite that we've somehow landed ourselves away from God, if we cry out to him, we have that confidence that he is merciful and will forgive us. 
Um, and forgiveness is, is not just, hey, it's okay. You know, hey, it's all right, buddy. Forgiveness is a picture of removal of guilt from wrongdoing. That we've done something wrong, and he actually removes that guilt from us. So he says that there's forgiveness in God. Well, come on in, sit down. Um, after he says that, he, said, well, he says there's also steadfast love. In verse 7, he says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. And hope and, hope and wait are that same kind of concept um, of, of looking forward with confidence, looking forward with anticipation. And he says, for, the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. Uh, other translations use loving kindness, um, but it's a sense of goodness. It's a sense of, uh, of mercy and kindness, kindness, but it's also a sense of uh, loyalty that God is there waiting for us. And, and, and he's, you know, he's, he has a relationship with us, and he's waiting for us to come back to him. Uh, he's anticipating forgiving us, and, and, and that's, why, that's the type of love that he has for us. <clears throat> and in verse 8, he says, uh, there is plentiful redemption. Um, some other translations say abund- abundant redemption or even ransom. Uh, ransom is a good word um, that's not used very often now- nowadays. But it's <clears throat> the idea of being ransomed for paying a price for our, uh, our iniquities or, or um, doing something himself to make, make up for our iniquities. So we cry out to God, and then we wait and hope because he is forgiving, because he loves us with a steadfast love, and because there's plentiful redemption with us. He's ready to forgive us all the things that we've done. And that's, that's what's uh, cool about that. And then this is echoed later in the New Testament. It's echoed over and over again. Um, he makes, God makes it uh, clear that... Uh, or the, the psalmist makes it clear that uh, redemption is for all of Israel. He says in verse 8, and he will redeem it, Israel from all his iniquities. Um, that's the nation, not just you know, one or two people, but that's all, the nation. And then later on, <clears throat> that redemption is extended to, uh, to the Gentiles, basically us. I think the majority of us are Gentiles, but basically uh, those who weren't born into the, the nation of Israel extended to us through Jesus. And I probably don't even have to repeat this. You guys probably know it by heart. But the most famous, ver- uh, most famous clarification of this, or saying of this, is in the Gospel of John, in, three, in verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then the key, everybody forgets 17. Everybody remembers 16, but they forget 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, to condemn the world, but in order that it, the world might be saved through him. And that's that same idea of redemption and save, being saved. So, <clears throat> the psalmist is saying, I know that I'm in a hole. I know that I'm far away from God and that it is all my fault. God did nothing that, should, that I should be in this hole. But I did everything that put me here. And I recognize that. And then he says, I can't get out. I can't get out on my own. The only thing 
that I can do to get out of this hole is call out to God. And I think that's, uh, that's where we leave it a lot of times. We recognize that we're in a hole, and we call out. But the most important part of this, of this, um, this uh, psalm is the wait and hope, the anticipation, the assurance. Yes, we need to call out to God, but as soon as we've called out, we need to anticipate that he will come, and he will take us out of that hole. He will draw us back to him, put us back into right relationship. Because he is forgiving, because he has steadfast love, and because with him there is plentiful redemption. So we all eventually sin. Uh, every one of us, this, you know, it happens to any of us. It happens to pastors. It happens to you know, ministers. It happens to you know, small group leaders. No one is accepted from this other than Christ. And when we get to that point, we need to understand that we're in sin, that we've sinned somehow, that we have sinned in our life, and then we have to call out to God and anticipate. Um, and the psalmist shows that we can do that, and we can wait and hope in, in the Lord for He's merciful and has redemption. And thus, easy summary of this, of this psalm is wait and hope for God, wait and hope for the Lord, and call out to Him. Um, that's it. Let's pray real quick. Gracious Father, we thank you for uh, this day. We thank you for the cool weather. We thank you for um, a church family where we can join together in praise, Father. We thank you that you have uh, given us hope. We thank you that you have given us um, redemption and that you sent your son for us. And Father, I ask that you would go with us this week. I ask that you would uh, remind us of the things that you've called us to. Like Derek said last week, I ask that you would remind us that of the cost that it is to be a Christian, of the cost that it is to worship you. And then remind us that we are in a relationship with you, Father, and that we need to care for that relationship and be aware that there are things that will come up in our lives that will, that will drive us away from you, um, that will pull us away from you, and that we really on our own cannot draw closer to you. That we have to call on you and let you draw, close, let you draw us close to you. Father, we praise you that we have that blessing in our life, that you're willing to do that, that you love us and that you care for us and that you're kind and that you hear us. And we ask that you would give us the courage and the strength to share that message with those around us in our life, that you would sh give us the courage and the opportunity to talk to our family members, to talk to our, uh, uh, our, our co-workers and those that we just run into in the street and share with them the hope that we have that's found in you, Father. I ask that you would bless us this week as we go. Let us glorify you in all that we do. In Christ's name, amen.